right, everybody. Welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, my name is Chris Denson, your gracious host at Densonology. I've been told I don't shout out my Twitter handle enough. So, <laughs> at Densonology, I want to get as many Twitter followers as you have. Mordecai. Um, so Mordecai on my right is my uh, guest co-host today. Say hello, Mordecai. G'day. G'day. Oh, no. Have you moved? What's no. The, oh. <laughs> I just pick a continent for oh, okay. a greeting oh, nice. per day. I like that. That's actually a good, a good goal. You yeah. only have seven to choose from. Exactly. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, that's what happens when you have an eight-year-old. You get to learn the <laughs> basics. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, who you are and, and your, about your lovely haircut. <laughs> Which you can all see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm giving them the visual representation through audio. Visual representation is Tilda Swinton bit off by Miley Cyrus. Tilda Sw- Tilda Cyrus, got it. Um, so what- exactly, imagine Miley Cyrus's country with a Scottish brogue. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm so, I'm so lost right now. Um, but tell them a little bit about yourself in terms of your career, and you know, um, I know you as a, a, a social media and digital technology expert and mm-hmm. uh, lecturer. But I'll, how about you? How about you tell us? <laughs> um, I'm a classic. Come from regular media. In that regard, like I come up through the ranks of MTV and classic television in that regard and then got into the digital space about seven, eight years ago just by default of being on a different continent where they didn't do branded content on the televisions. Yes. Actually, more of the allo. Uh, oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> See? I, don't, I never know what's going on here. Exactly. <laughs> Um, And then brought that in. And so what I do is I help a lot of people as a consultant bridge that world between crazy technology that they feel they have to have. You know, I'm the person that they come to and they say, we understand that to be cool, we have to have a Twitter and Instagram, a Pinterest and a Facebook. What does that look like? And then I usually say, do you take pictures? (laughs) And then we and then we figure out actually what that looks like and how to engage that space for one, for brand recognition, and then for two, for potential strategies and That's aligning awesome. with other folks. That is awesome, um, which is a perfect segue to the gentlemen who are here today, uh, Jason Yim from Trigger Global, as well as uh, Mika Sarian. I got it right. First time, too. First time I said it out loud. Um, so, Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks. How does it feel to be the first person ever from Trigger Global to be on the show? I, I think Mika walked into the room. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, there you go. That's, you're a good CEO. You already passed the credit on to your, to your team. Um, so tell us a little bit about Trigger and, you know, what kind of services it, it provides. And- sure. Uh, Trigger is a digital agency. We're kind of mobile first focus. We're office in L.A. Office in L.A. and Shanghai. Um, and we're basically... Uh, Hollywood creative plus mobile innovation. So our work is kind of half-half. We we do a lot of film marketing. Uh, we've done the Spider-Man campaign since the very first movie. Oh, sweet. Um, we worked on um, uh, Catching Fire last year. We're typically like five or six blockbusters a year we'll be doing the digital marketing for. I thought all the blockbusters um, have closed. Yeah. Just kidding. That was a bad joke. <laughs> Horrible joke, actually. I'm ashamed of myself. Um, no, go uh, <laughs> and, then the other, and then the other half is augmented reality. So we're actually a Qualcomm portfolio company. Qualcomm's the biggest chipset manufacturer, $100 billion plus market cap. Uh, they invested in us a couple years ago, and we work with their Vuforia augmented reality tech. Nice. Yeah. So are you really here right now, or are you augmented, augmented reality? I am here. Mika is <laughs> um, So, Mika, where do, where, do, where do you come in in the, in the wheelhouse as far as Trigger is concerned? 
So I'm a VP of technology for Trigger and my team essentially makes it happen. As you said at the beginning, we put the batteries in for all the things <laughs> to run. And uh, whatever great ideas Jason has in his mind, my team actually implements them. That's great. So if anything breaks, it's Mika's fault. If it's <laughs> awesome, it's because of my ideas. Like a true CEO. Right? There he is. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been part of the team? I started about two years ago. Okay, so be careful. Just watch out for this guy. You, you know, I don't know. I know. I, I learned that. <laughs> how did you guys meet? Like, how did you know? Because um, Trigger's been around for how long now? Uh, since two thousand and five. Okay, so uh, two years ago you come on board. Like, how did that relationship even develop? You know, was it Craigslist or did you were you guys introduced? <laughs> how did it happen? Uh, it was it was through just a regular kind of job search interview process. Like we we were basically. So before two years ago, we were very much focused on the marketing side. Right. Um, so the projects are a lot shorter, usually for the studios, smaller budget, shorter time frame. Um, and then as we moved on to the AR side and we're working with bigger brands and bigger projects and some product development, right. we knew we needed kind of technical leadership that's, that's, that's um, of a different breed, I think. And Mika comes from, he set up the Garmin office in LA. Oh, wow. Okay. Like long product cycles, real testing. Right. Um, and then that's how we met. So not the the typical oversimplification. I'm like, oh, well, all we have to do is. Like, I think that's always like a big misconception is all we have to do is. Right? <laughs> um, so you recently got married and even more recently became a dad, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, you look like you didn't want me to say that on the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other lady will, will find out now. Um, just out of curiosity, how did that change your perspective as, uh, you know, as a leader? Right, you know, um, being a family man now versus you know iterations of, from right. 2005 up until the time life started really happening, you know, how does it change your perspective from either a at home or in the workplace? I think the funny thing was like everyone, like um, so there there are a bunch of key guys that I uh, started Trigger with from the very beginning. Um, our creative director Anthony, um, uh, Carlo who does our finance, Judd who's an art director, Perry who's our director of production. We've all worked together for, I don't know, Perry since UCLA days, so it's almost like right. you know, 15 plus years or whatever. And they were like, they couldn't wait until I got married and had a kid because it would change my perspective, like slow things down and like kind of uh, change priorities a bit. Right. Um, but I don't think that happened exactly as they planned. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just made me more like, oh man, like now you have a, even more responsibility, you know? Right. So you have to hustle harder, you have to work harder. You just have to be a little bit more efficient with your time now. So right, um, and uh, I think it does does definitely ground yourself when you you know as soon as you get home you're you're cleaning up diapers and running around picking stuff up and yeah yeah so you're you're hands on yes day. oh definitely yeah. nice um, now when you look at hey I wanted to know where the name Trigger comes from so uh, my I had a another agency before uh, with some uh, a couple of investors and stuff like that. And I'd always wanted to kind of go out on my own. Um, so when I started Trigger, the idea was uh, I should have pulled the trigger a long time ago. Uh, nice. And it worked out as a marketing name. And that now it works out as an augmented reality uh, so nothing, nothing well. to do with murder then. It, there's no. No, I've been pulled over before. Gangster. You know. What I wanted to ask also is just when you look at Trigger service offerings, how much of the value comes from your creative ideation 
versus like building real and or new technologies, right? right? When you walk into a room, what's the value proposition for the clients that you work with? I think, uh, like I said before, when it was more on the marketing side, I think we're definitely more creative driven, you know, like there wasn't that much risk on delivery. Uh, like it's a, it's more about design or clean architecture uh, or a fun game or something uh, that, that drives traffic. But but now with AR stuff, so much of what we, what's important about us is, is on Mika's side, is on can we actually deliver on the tech. Uh, and the stuff that we're working with because of the Qualcomm relationship, uh, they they let us play with the technology kind of six months ahead of everyone else. Oh, wow. And we are, uh, we're the sh- a showcase agency for them. So when they introduce a new feature for AR, like text recognition, cloud recognition, uh, and the new one is Smart Train, which is scanning your table and stuff, um, they bring us on board and we're the first people to play with it and actually do the public right. launch of it. And if that doesn't work, you know, it's... Well, when you launch it, right, but, you know, Qualcomm has this new technology, they need to penetrate a marketplace, like, what do you do? you align it with a client or do you kind of, are you building something from scratch and kind of like putting that out from a publicity standpoint and, and that kind of thing? Or is it, you know, how do you, it's one thing to play with it in the sandbox, but how do you walk around the rest of the park and... Yeah, so typically they sometimes uh, they will have a brand client in mind already. So they're they've already so uh, first time we did three D toy recognition was with Sesame Street. Uh, so they had already been working with Sesame Street. They brought on brought us in as the experiential group. Um, cloud recognition was with American Apparel. Um, you know, text recognition was with Sesame Street as well. So. Right. So do, do you guys have an easier cycle when it comes to selling? Because even to Mordecai's point earlier is like. You know, a company may say they want to do X, Y, and Z, and probably they it, either they don't need it or they haven't thought it through. You know, to the extent that you guys will as a service. Um, but what are? Yeah, I guess from a practical standpoint, you know, when an American Apparel does it, it, is there a high rate of penetration and usage on augmented reality yet? You know, um, the numbers are definitely going higher. I think um, uh, at first. Augmented reality was more gimmicky. You know, you you look at some uh, glyph-like marker and a piece of content pops up that's, you know, like a video or something like that. And it's not a lot of payoff for downloading an app. Right. Um, so you have to go through all this work, and then you look at it, and it's a video that you could have watched on YouTube. So why did I go through <laughs> all the hassle in the first place? Um, and there's still AR applications that are out there that are similar to that, that play. But w- we focus on what we call premium AR and that's taking it to either a lot more engaging level or a lot more uh, useful level. So Scholastic recently, um, they run the book fairs for all the kids and stuff. Uh, we did an app that's cloud-based reco. You can look at any Scholastic book, instantly recognizes the cover, tells the parent what other books match in that age group, You know, are good, uh, if the kid likes it, what else to read and things like that. So. AR then becomes uh, very useful right. instead of like, you know, jump up and down, wave your arms. But then even, even in that instance, though, do you look at like there's also Random House, there's also Penguin, you know, and maybe Mika, you can help answer this, is universally uh, applicable, you know, instances of those, those types of augmented reality plays. So, yeah, obviously when we are trying to develop, we're developing it as a platform that can be applied to different places but it's 
as you said, it's not really penetrated in every aspect right. of the life. So we're still looking for clients to actually understand what we can offer and put in their application or kind of release a new application for them that could yeah. use this technology. And we're also, you know, the other thing that, that everyone uh, is waiting for is that at the kind of OEM manufacturer level as well, you know. So Apple bought, like, PrimeSense, like the... the uh, Object recognition oh, people. Yeah. So if they if they put the AR uh, tech in their in their camera layer, you yeah. know, and then that that might broaden out the application. But right now it's it's every brand has to create its own uh, app. Um, uh, there's some apps out there that are are, are trying to do uh, to house as many multiple brands as possible. But that ends up being a very kind of thin experience. Yeah. So that's the thing they have to juggle. Like, do you if you're a brand and you have a, you can generate enough uh, downloads, then you might as well push your own brand and and push a much deeper experience. Right. So that's that's. I mean, that's awesome. Um, so when you guys actually are working as a team, right? I, I look at sort of all the translation that needs to happen, right? You, it's, there's, it's like the, the game of telephone. <laughs> it's like, oh, the, the client tells Qualcomm, Qualcomm tells you, you tell your team, you know? So when you go from, you know, from idea to tech, from tech to design, from design to market, how do you manage that process, right? Because that's a, it's a lot of stuff that needs to be maintained. And I think it probably is an underestimated piece of what, you know, when a client looks at a price tag, <laughs> you're like, no, this is why. Because there's a lot of information that's traveling back and forth and iterations and so on and so forth. So how do you like how do you go about successfully managing and managing expectation and the, the work process? Um you wanna talk about your Yeah, we don't. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though it's so uh, the project starts uh, nice jacket by the way. I like the jacket. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to trade. Very tacky. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, it's uh, augmented. Yes. <laughs> so the um, uh, process, uh, when it starts, as you said, it travels through different channels, and it could go through Qualcomm, or very often clients come directly to us. But at the end of the day, we try to talk directly to clients, even our development team. So even though the idea comes from Jason, let's say, or comes from client, at the end of the day, people who are developing the actual application, they talk directly with the client to understand what really client wants. Right. And that's probably the best way to kind of uh, satisfy the requirements that they're looking for. And then to communicate that back, I mean, even from a creative standpoint, right, when you have an idea and so, like, you, you give the verbal idea or even written to a graphic designer and then that, you know, that skeleton to, a, you know, your technical team, um, you know, how do you manage the translation piece of it yeah we also and then the other complication we have um or feature is uh, we also have a shanghai office so right. then we have a time zone issue we have a language issue yeah do you speak um, shanghai-ish i do not okay my chinese is really bad, so I, I can order cantonese food but that's mordecai do you speak uh, what's the what's the continental greeting from jason and i are on the same wave <laughs> i can order quite well nice <laughs> but um so we what we found is yeah, it's uh, everything as visual as possible. So um, there's, it's interesting for me. Actually, my day to day job now has like almost gone backwards. So now I carry like a pencil case around with pens and stuff right. and paper, and, and like literally half my day is is going to be drawing because oh, wow. that that's been the most 
clear way to communicate concepts and nice. you know direction and stuff like that. Are you an artist by, by trade? Like, what, what what did you study coming up? Uh, graphic design. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I think on the drawing side, we're uh, we're doing some uh, content stuff for Lego right now, and we're getting to do you know the, the story stuff and the characters and. Uh, it's, it's been really cool. It's been really fun. How do you find the process with your clients? Because you guys have them for a while, you know, like doing all the Spider-Mans, that sort of thing. So if, on the other side, instead of just saying this is the, what you want to use the technology for, but kind of encouraging them to take that risk, because obviously through all those films, you're, you guys right. are the ones pushing them to maybe take that. And I'm sure it's like any negotiation where you go big and then you land in the middle. But can you guys talk about your process through saying take this leap with us? Yeah, the interesting thing on the film side is that um, as an industry, their kind of innovation cycle is really short. Um, like most other com- most other companies, you have a Nike or whatever, they might do a shoe launch every quarter, every six months or whatever. Right. On the film side, every week, the studio has new projects coming out, uh, new films coming out. So uh, actually, I would say that, to be fair, like they, they were uh, often driving the... the the technical push as well because we would be working on something and then the studio would say okay these, these guys are uh, these are in production we have another movie coming up in however many months come to us with something new you know right um so uh, we work very closely with with sony um they pushed uh, and helped us move into mobile initially so we were uh we did the one of the first movie apps for uh um uh, like besides iPhone on the iPad as well, so we did. Uh, yeah, it was a the Kung Fu movie, um, Karate Kid Two. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, should have been Kung Fu Kid, but Karate Kid. Two. <laughs> anyways, because in China. But anyways, uh, it was, we launched it on the same day. The Taekwondo the, Kid. Yeah, same day, same day as the iPad came out. Um, oh wow! We launched that app, and it was the most successful uh, iPad app that we had. Uh, that came out for the films. Now, what happens even along those lines? Like, I, I, you know, I was super. I was more excited about your After Earth <laughs> app than I was about the movie, right? And then the movie didn't do too well, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, it, you know, so is there? I mean, is your work done at that point? You know, because I, I think it was a great showpiece of your capabilities, um, but at the same time, you know, from a market penetration, right? Like are people even going to be interested in that? And then how do you deal with that sort of dynamic, especially on the client side? You know, when they, if you, if you don't make a great product, the the main product, you don't make a great film, are people going to be interested in the, in the technology behind it? Yeah. So I think, uh, the strategy behind it has been, has been changing somewhat. So I think studios realize that, that, um, if you're going to go, so mobile, like a mobile site, website, social, that applies to every single movie, Right. Um, and in some movies uh, we worked on, um, it could almost be just a social campaign and you can try, probably drive, drive enough traffic to. There are probably fewer, fewer movies now that they're willing to invest in an app because of that issue. Like you need to get enough interest, get enough downloads. Uh, but on certain big properties like a Spider-Man or something, uh, it's definitely worth putting an app out there because there's so much interest right. that you want to keep engaging that uh, um, that audience. So basically, if it's an M Night Shyamalan project, don't don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not to hurt your client base there. Um, no, I, I, you know. And then I guess, are you held to uh, a deliverable at the end of the day? Right? Like you know, these these technologies are great and the experiences are awesome. 
Is it brand visibility? Is it ticket sales? Is it more book sales? Like what, you know, what are, what kind of end goals and deliverables are you guys held to? Because I know like sort of, you know, for Mordecai and I, like our deliverables are pretty easy. You know, it's like, all right, we want to see a percentage increase in X and, you know, or at least a brand lift of, of X. Um, but for you, it's kind of like these are very fun and experiential and just a complimentary piece in some cases. But what sorts of, you know, uh, bottom lines are you, are you guys held to? Yeah, I think the performance metrics also are tied into so many other different because the campaigns we work on are, are so large. It's not usually just us. Right. You know, so uh, if we're building an app, someone else is also doing the promotion for it or the PR for it. And it's the app is part of a larger campaign that's, you know doing X, Y, and Z. And even in terms of that wheelhouse, you know, when you look at PR or you look at what's happening in television or what's happening in print or, you know, a stunt, how, you know, A, yes, you want to be in the, involved from script process, right, when you, you can read a script and then start to think through creatively what you can do on the technology side, but also in the whole marketing wheelhouse, how important is it for you guys to be part of that cycle? And do you get, and do you often get to be a part of it, right? Because sometimes it's like, hey, you guys build this thing, right. and you're like, oh, if you had told us you were doing a parade, we could have, you know. <laughs> no, very important. And uh, I think the the studios are getting way better. I don't know it, what you know what so. campaign had a parade in it, but I just no. <laughs> another, another M Night movie. That did, At least a flash mob, <laughs> right? There we yeah. go, flash parade. Yeah. Uh, no, like uh, we read the scripts from very early on. Um, typically, uh, one attraction that studios have for us is that we have. The advantage of our Shanghai office is we have illustrators and we have 3D artists, so we can come up with stuff, um, come up with a great game and stuff, and actually create all the assets and all the content while the movie production is still going on. Um, because the other way around is you, you normally have to wait until the movie's almost done, and right. they give you like a Spider-Man model to play with, but by that time you don't have enough time to make anything uh, significant. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and even along those lines, what is like a... a typical production cycle that you would like to have like in an ideal world because I'm sure a lot of times you're like this movie's coming out in three months and like we need some ideas and you're like uh okay <laughs> Tumblr <laughs> <laughs> start making phone calls get a desire uh, telecommunications coming uh, no we uh, sometimes it's over a year um, oh wow but I think a comfortable time frame probably is uh, six months uh, six to nine months, I think. But um, some of the other projects we're working on have been year and a half, almost two years. We also include prototyping and stuff. So right. That's something new for us when you're talking about how do we track success is that when we moved out of the marketing side um, and we work with like the Legos and Sesame Streets and stuff, there's a lot of kid testing. Uh, so that's been an eye-opener, you know, to right. actually build early iterations Test it with the audience, you know. Right. Get feedback and then and then iterate from there. And having the time to really um, craft something that you you know it's going to work. Kid tested, mother approved. <laughs> Anybody know what brand that's from? <laughs> Kicks, Kick cereal, two hundred points. Um, with an X. Yes, they, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, no, when you look at again with that cycle, right? You go from six months to a year and a half. I think even in those time frames, technology can te- seem to leapfrog itself. Um, how do you go about that? You know, managing the 
what's happening in the world while you're developing this thing in somewhat of a vacuum, right? You, you have to focus on this end goal and you're like, oh, shoot, we could add this new thing that, you know, that's available now. Maybe that's a, a question for you, Mika. Sure. And uh, we address it in different ways. So one of the things, as Jason mentioned, we work very closely with Qualcomm. So because we know their roadmap, we actually know what is going to come up, let's say, within a year or next six months. Right. So we can pretty much predict what we will be able to do right. and start developing around that. But also at the same time, we, in many cases, we evolve as the project progresses. So if we had some idea at the beginning, we could change as new technology come up or something new appears that we can use in right. our app. And obviously there is some difference between apps and sites. So for websites, it could be a shorter timeline and technologies do not change there as often. The new things com come up, for example, like Tumblr, and we want to use Tumblr because right. it's just cool right now, but it's not so much technology change. So it's more, it's more of a trend, right. like trend exactly. tracking. Right, right. But for apps, it's much more technology-driven, and we need to follow closely what's coming up and what is right. feasible and what is not. Is there sort of a criteria you look to to filter, right? If Tumblr is hot now, right, and you've, you've gone down eight months of a development cycle and doing Tumblr may derail you from your target deadline. You know, do you go for it or do you, you know, or, and what are some of the criteria you look for to, to kind of filter out those opportunities? I mean, we're, we're lucky that we have a broad enough client base. Like right, right now we're, we're probably working with almost every studio at one time. So we can get a sense of how real something is because all the studios will be asking for it, you know, or half the studios will be asking for it. And then when that happens, we know whether to, hey, is this something that we need to be offering uh, as an in-house service or can we outsource this um, right. and make those decisions? Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, every time I see you, you're, you're, you're like, taller? You're, <laughs> your hair is taller. <laughs> how tall are you? On okay. the radio? Like, <laughs> I told you it's laughing to you. Like, yeah. I'm 6'2". Yeah. Um, no, like, how do you stay so zen, right? As a, you know, as a leader and you've got, like, you're juggling a lot of, I mean, this is an ever-changing world, right? So it's not like it's it's the same process every time. There's some things that are similar. Um, but, you know, just dealing with, you know, uh, two years is relatively new to, uh, what is it? nine-year-old company mm -hmm. um and just you know all the things that you need to juggle as a leader you know how do you how do you filter you know how do you how do you stay even kill or do you <laughs> you walk in the office and like start smashing doors every now and then i wait i wait until i go home and the baby's asleep and bang my head against the door <laughs> no like i actually the last couple of years actually have been the most enjoyable for me i think like because we, we're moving into this product development stuff like it really is like inventing you right know? And I think before, on the marketing side, we had always wanted to do new things. We had always wanted to put in more effort, you know, do a longer story, do a bigger game, but you're just limited, right. you know. And now we're actually getting to, to play in that space and, and work on actual products. So uh, it's exciting times, yeah. I think the, the stressful thing has always been, of course, the business side, the Shanghai office, like the, the, the whole model of China has changed since right. we've been out there, you know. We, we had our, we started our office out there in 2007 uh, and made a lot, lot of sense financially back then because of all the, it's like cheaper workforce, but also uh, a very international workforce. Right. Uh, but then with all the labor laws changing and, you know, that, so that office has started small. We've 
gone through four office spaces in, in, oh, wow. in that period of time. Mm-hmm. Just scaling up and then now scaling back. So how big down. is the company now? Look, both with US and and Shanghai. Uh, we're just over forty now. Okay, yeah. that's great. And then, as far as even you know, are there things that are happening in China? Like when you look at WeChat versus Facebook, right? And there are certain technologies and things that don't even exist there, or vice versa. You know, are, are there things that you wish you could do here, or you know, in the, on the other side? And and if not, or just even some of the the lit, you know the um, the socio political things that you have to deal with. I think the crazy thing looking at China right now is is that kind of social element. Like there's that many people. You can see the government trying to like stop as much negative conversation as possible. Right. But you can you can kind of see technology beating that. Right? Beating them to so, the punch. Yeah. So the calculus of that is ultimately the technology is going to win. Everyone in China gets to talk about whatever they want, and then how do you control that situation? You know. Yeah. So you, you have you just see fires sparking up everywhere in China right now, and and I think they're going to have a uh, like their recent um, their national meeting or whatever. They were talking about how the government was saying like the number one priorities are pollution and uh, corruption, and uh, um, but at the same time we also want. The other priority is like you know growth is going to be seven percent next year. So Jeez. it's all these things that don't really go together, right? So it's going to be interesting to see if. But they uh, do kind of like all they're all sort of interconnected in a way. Like when you know when you like you said you have a population that's big, you know that's that big. Pollution is going to be a problem, and right. then people are going to be talking about it, and then they don't want people to talk about it because it's you know now it's a negative point point of view on the country. Um, but I think just I, I even think that globally. You know, technology and our ability to communicate with one another is f- far beyond where we are in terms of legal and and sort of the the um, the rules and regulations around it, right? right? Um, and I, I'll just throw this out to the group, but you know, is wh- where is that balance? Right? Is it is there a balance for <laughs> for you know rules and regulations versus what technology is doing, or you know, should it all be open? Um, I don't know. I'm curious as to as well. With that separation of social networks and all, and you know this globalization of social on one level, and then these separate platforms, I'm wondering if it's going to go the way of classic media too. Is it going to be where if you have a huge marketing campaign for a studio, is that marketing going to have to be bought out and set set for that different? With the same way that if I want to put something on UK TV, if I want to put it on American TV, right. if I want to put it on Russian TV, it all has to be set up in this way and that structure to bring it in but that the campaign stays the same and the content does because right now as in my work globally we're creating it specifically for that platform and having different conversations in each of those instead of just this is the content adapt it yeah i think um you know when we when we started we were doing mostly kind of domestic campaigns and everything is international now especially with the box office being bigger out there than than out here and it is really interesting that each market is a complete different group, often different social networks, and uh, the limitation on our, our and it feels like the budgets aren't really changing that much. It's like as as digital marketing gets more nuanced, um, the the money doesn't follow that. Right. It, it, instead, it just becomes more fractured, right? Yeah. Like suddenly there's a new 
There's a new device to work on. There's a new social network. There's a new, and it just has to come out of the same browser bucket. sniffer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're hired. <laughs> um, you also teach, and you do a lot of like speaking engagements and and things like that. Monica, you do as well. You you, are you you're an adjunct professor at a couple of places, or is it? Um, when we're offline, we'll talk okay. about that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I do guest speak at right, the right, universities. Right. And so, um, like, what are some of the common misconceptions or questions that people have when you go into like the educational environments, right? Um, either industry-wise or just with your your company as, as a whole. Um, I I think uh, I I think the idea of the misconception one one is like the difficulty of making. Uh, an app, I think a, a good app. I think a lot of people, you hear about successes like uh, Flappy Bird or whatever. And right. They, or two people in a room and they can make it in five days. And it's like the hackathons. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so that's something when you actually take a look at a project and it runs for 18 months or something. I mean, that's like thousands of man hours to do something, you know. Right. Um, and it really goes into the product. But uh, so I, I always feel like that. They're always surprised at how long. Yeah, you know, like, that oh, we can't is. just do this this right. weekend. <laughs> yeah, why can't you spend five thousand dollars and make a? Right, know? but is that possible though? I mean, in some the Flappy Bird case in point is you know a kid at home, right. and you know next thing you know he's a thousand there. I mean, if I feel like yeah, you could, <laughs> you know. Take a gun and shoot it in the air, and hopefully it hits the right person. Right, five miles down, something like that. There's a remote chance that, that <laughs> happens, but Very it's remote. not. Yeah, it's like a lottery, right? There are like hundreds of thousand people developing these small apps, and one of them becomes successful, but that's the one that we hear about. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's kind of like that one percent rule, you know. Even if you look at music or even other like creative fields. There are hundreds upon thousands of creators out there, but there's only a few that are like the ones that we hear about from a success standpoint. Um, I wanted to, I wanted you to just give us a little example of, you know, maybe a, a golden child project that you've had where you were actually able to. It was it was like your your dream come true, right? Like, oh, this one went. We got in early enough. You know, we got to do our wildest idea, and it worked. You know, what maybe a case study in that sort of like the the perfect trigger scenario. Mika uh, smiling. I don't know. He's, he's like, ooh. <laughs> Our, it, it this project was uh, they just anoint, uh, announced it at a toy fair, um, so it will come out in summer. So we can't talk about the details of it, but it's for Lego. Nobody listens to the show. You can <laughs> trust me. You can, you can talk about it. It's a it, it'll be an app that goes with uh, a, a theme of theirs called uh, Ultra Agents. So um, that was a dream come true true for me. Like I was a Lego fan was a, when I was a kid. Right. When I got married, I had like Lego cufflinks. You know, so. <laughs> I was uh, yeah, so being able to work with that company and see how they how they do things, and uh, actually being uh, given the opportunity to, to you know draw the story, write the story, things like that, like that was a big dream dream come true. And then when we were at Toy Fair, and we actually got to see the boxes for the first time. Man, that was that was crazy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was yeah. like, check. I can now. <laughs> Some, if someone hits hits me with a car, I'd be totally okay. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll keep that in mind as when we leave, <laughs> as long uh, as they're insured. um along those lines right like you you talk about like things that you were a fan of as a kid and you know 
now you kind of get to actualize a lot of that sort of creative vision. Um, what what kind of defines Jason Yim? You know, what kind of defines you? What's your personal brand? What are the, the I don't know, sort of like a, a philosophy you bring to the table when you walk into a room? Like, what do you want people to walk away with as your your personal gift to, to people in a room? Uh, I think, like, when we work as a group, we collaborate really well. Uh, it's kind of a best idea sort of wins. Um, I think there's very le- little ego in our company, you know, and we really like when they're good ideas coming from all sides of the uh, of the team. Uh, so I think um, I think I bring that enthusiasm, you know, like when someone if it's if it's mine or if it's someone else's, I actually get excited about it. And uh, and it's something that um, when we were working with the Lego guys, uh, I actually saw reflected in in their staff as well and, and Qualcomm too, like. Often you go into meetings, big meetings, and there are guys on their phones, they're checking out, and you can see that there's like a bureaucratic layer right. in the room that really doesn't... It's okay for some and it's not okay for others yeah. kind of thing. But then uh, when we're in, in, in Billund uh, working with, with a team out there, there are some people that were have been at Lego for 25 plus years, you know? And they're at the table, and you know they've been working on these sets uh, even longer than we have. So they might have been like a three-year cycle for them, like from concept to actually. And when the sets get on the table, they're all playing with them and they're all engaged and they're all excited and they're all, and like that's like infectious, you know, like that uh, it really feels like people are crafting something uh, instead of doing a campaign, you know. Uh, They're actually making something that they can be proud of. Um, There's something to be said about that, just uh, the ability to play, like to view your work as some form of play. Like, you know, Mordecai and I have talked about, like, just the, just the ability to tinker with an idea and, like, oh, like, you know, you get to craft and shape something into something that's really tangible or unprecedented or at least a win for whomever you're working with, right? And there's just that, you know, that, that sense of play. Um, and, you know, I don't have a question there, but I just <laughs> thought it was, well, like, uh, it's it's a really interesting yeah. point that you bring up. The the The... AR stuff has really opened that up for us because uh, when we're working on these new features with Qualcomm, especially Mika's team, right. um, it's often not baked on their side either. You know? right. So they're still developing the tech. Um, a good example of this was uh, the first 3D toy recognition for Sesame Street. Uh, we did it for the CES uh, keynote presentation, um, I think 2012. Okay. Um, and IDO in San Francisco... Uh, great company. They were actually making the toys, um, like 3D printing the toys, hand painting. Uh, Qualcomm was still coding the recognition, right. and we were building the experience. And these physical things had to be like literally carried in a briefcase from like our office in Shanghai to IDO in San Francisco. Like a top secret briefcase? Yeah, like, like a top <laughs> secret. Like serious. Like, wow. It was like 10 grand courier fee to get the guy from one office to the other. Wow. Crazy like that. And then... Uh, the scientists guys on on uh, Qualcomm's team were in Vienna, so that was all happening. And it's it's like if we're going to build a website, you know it's going to work, right? Right. You know, eventually there's going to be some bugs and stuff, but there's no there's very little risk that way. And this was literally all three parties inventing, like making a stew at the same time, right? <laughs> and then hopefully it tastes great when you're done. And, what, and what's the feeling for you, like? 
in that process, right? Are you like you kind of peeking over the shoulder to see what they're doing, or are you just kind of like head down? Because I guess I guess you would have sort of a game plan going into it, and hopeful hoping that they all come together. Is it is it more angst or is it more like excitement? Uh, it's more excitement for me. <laughs> angst for, for, for me. So, but yeah, says like, the other bald guy in the, in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my hair is going longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. And then, you know, from a, a, just kind of getting back to the practicality of aug- augmented reality, um, how much of it is based on what you know audiences are willing to do and how much of it is based on what you wish an audience or you, you want to get them to do? And maybe give us an example of, you know, one of the AR projects and, and what the experience was. Right. Um, a good example is probably um, Sesame Street. We launched the first text recognition app. So this is a, uh, parents can download this app for 99 cents, I think. Um, And basically what it does is it teaches kids how to read, but in the real world, it's contextual. So instead of kids reading from, uh, learning how to read milk from a textbook or storybook, they can actually take the app to a grocery store, you know, uh, Big Bird or Cookie Monster will tell them to look for the word milk. And they can look down the aisles uh, and the iPhone through the camera recognizes that word. And when it recognizes the word, it explains, this is a little word circle pops up, it explains that milk comes from cows and you know you can make butter out of it, blah, 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 stuff like that. Um, but the, the testing on Sesame Street side has been amazing. Like um, the kind of um, uh, how well the, the child learns from that. Right. Uh, the parents love it. Um, but it's, it's definitely a complete different behavior. You know? Yeah. So we've... You've proven that it works. It's tested. You can you can see the retention from the kid is much higher, but that's why the the second part of the the task is how do you communicate and sell that to a parent, you know? right? Uh, and especially something that's um, it's very hard to show in video. It's very uh, you know it's it's if I buy a, a different Angry Birds game, I know you know what I you're going to get. Yeah, I know what yeah. I'm going to get. So stuff that we're doing now, it's like. <clears throat> Uh, we're, we're trying to get it as close to simple behavior as possible, as simple as take your phone, point at something. Right. One, two, and yeah. three, right? Yeah. Um, and which teaches them counting. See? <laughs> right. I just added a whole other layer onto your experience, and you didn't pay me. Um, no, that, uh, it, that's, that's really cool. And then, um, you know, when we look at sort of that future, right? Because you, you're kind of these kids are going to be learning a lot differently than we, all of us in this room have, have learned. Um, and then when you look at uh, sort of the connected future, right? Is is that an area where you guys are playing right now? Like, are you when you look at like all right, a year from now or three years from now? How far are, are are you in terms of how people are going to be interacting with the things they you know where they live, work, and play? Uh, I think we're we're definitely looking down that road. I think what's of interest to us uh, are wearables. Of course, we feel that that's going to be inevitable, and it's um, definitely part of like uh, the AR, you know, right. immediate future. Um, the depth sensors on the cameras. I think we talked about that before. Like that, that's going to bring a lot to the table. Um, and uh, we're very much because of our work with. Sesame and Lego and stuff. We're very much interested in the toy space, right? And how to push this kind of a digital physical play. Um, when are you guys uh, going to get some adult industry clients? 
<laughs> we can't talk about this. Like <laughs> <laughs> trigger X. Um, so the show is called Innovation Crush, right? You guys, I hope you knew, knew that. Um, and I was just curious as to what are some trends that you're currently crushing on, you know, in your industry or otherwise. I mean, it can be, you know, something that we haven't even talked about or whatever. Uh, and Mordecai, you can chime in here as well. Um, you know, what are some things that you look out into the world you think are like are, are pretty awesome trends that are that are happening? Uh, I'm a big Tesla fan, you know, mm. but, uh, the idea that but what's really exciting me about Tesla uh, and also with this announcement of car, uh, the car OS thing. Yeah, the the Apple. Yep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's cool to see that, you know, that the whole UI, the human computer interface thing that that basically built. Apple and was important for us on, on desktops and it's important for us on a phone is now migrating to everything else right. you know out there so now if I go buy a car one of the decision criteria is like what's the UI on the car you know I don't think that's ever really happened before but no, when Tesla crazy. introduced those giant screens you're like oh and they look that. awesome too. Yeah. Like when you get in there, you like you feel like you're in the in the helm of a spaceship. You're like, oh, cool, beep beep beep. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that will get in, you to Mars. Give them a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, we had uh, George Whitesides on the show, who's the CEO of Virgin Galactic, and oh, you know, oh, cool. commercialized space travel. Like, yes, you'll be able to take your Tesla <laughs> to right. to space pretty soon. But what else? What you know? What other products are, are is UI going to be important to you know? Uh, and then as soon as you, if the UI gets pulled off of the product and, and into like augmented space, right. you know, then UI becomes important on everything. Yeah, I mean, that's when you start to get in the Internet of Things, right? Like, you know, to start thawing your chicken before you get home and you do it from your from your Tesla, you know. I think Uh, it's really funny that like with the Internet of Things, like everyone is uh, uh, typically the the first focus is going to be what is the technology behind it and how do you connect all this stuff. But then the real challenge is that you can have the greatest technology underneath it. But the UI is the thing that gets the person to be able to use it. Yeah. You want people to go, this is so cool. Like, because nobody knows what's happening on the back end and what chipsets you use and, you know, all that stuff. It's kind of like, I just had the coolest thing happen to me, you know. And and I I think there's a divide sometimes, no offense, Mika, uh, between the technology, right? The the people who are developing the tools. That's why another guest we had on the show was uh, Dan Goods, who is NASA's artist in residence. And his job is to take those scientific concepts and turn them into art exhibitions and to get people excited about space and the universe and so on and so forth. Because otherwise we're like, oh, the you know, fuel. And like we, we kind of dumb it down because it's not accessible to us. Um, but just from, you know, again, kind of like you're right, when you talk about UI and like what the technology is capable of, it has to be, again, some in so, some way translated to a tangible experience. Do you, Mika, do you... Are you considering those kinds of things when you're developing the technology part of it? Yeah, absolutely. It's like every day when we're developing the app, it's for us engineers who want to make it more complex and put more features. But in reality, for the users, when we go back and kind of run by Jason or somebody else, we want to simplify it. And it's not often an easy task to keep all the functionality, but with the simplest way. And as Jason was saying, with everything so connected and so many things that you can do, how do you deliver an interface that anybody can use? Let's say a kid can just pick up an iPad and easily understand what could be done with it right. without reading a manual. So. That's cool. And stuff that we would never have thought about like until you went into kid testing. Like certain age group of kids, 
when they pick up an iPad, the iPad's heavy for them, so they can only hold it up for so long. And then when they pick it up, they can't. They, they use their thumbs to hold it up, so they can't. You can't use their thumbs for huh. you know, and they can't do a single-handed hold, so you can't use the other hand to, to tap the screen and stuff. But but then they get to a certain age group, and then that's all possible. So <laughs> if you have a app or a game that's supposed to overlap these age groups, like what is the physical interface and what's the physical way of playing? So. Yeah, that's a really smart way of thinking about it. Yeah. Maybe human evolution will give us a third arm. Right. <laughs> uh, we're, but we're a little ways off from, from that. Maybe. Well, so, some people. I'm uh, sure someone's got a body with a third arm <laughs> on it that they put together. Um, uh, your innovation crush, Mordecai? I think I go a little bit more offline with it in the same way that we're talking about China and how the innovation is here, but then the government comes and gets involved and... I was this week I was around a bunch of MacBooks at the Genius Bar and I this guy has just masking tape over his camera. And I was like, "Okay, I'm I want to know and how how all of this innovation and how I can cook my chicken from my Tesla, how I'm going <laughs> to do all of this stuff. How can I have this environment and feel safe in it? So where are the laws going to come into play and where do I know that I'm somewhat protected?" Right. Because my going home and making a chicken, I don't want to surf the internet and only see chicken ads. Right. And that kind of thing. So I, to me, I want to keep evolving and know how this can happen safely. Well, there's a, there's a lot of theories around that, like around people dialing back, like deleting accounts and, you know, not being as connected for that very reason. Like, yeah. you know, there is. You know, I'm fascinated. That's what I'm always, <laughs> I'm always like. It's about the dial. Back. It's all that was you. Yeah, was, <laughs> it was. I just stole your idea and didn't give you credit. I'm a real <laughs> CEO, too. Um, <laughs> We're a team. We're a right. team. No, yeah, but you're absolutely right. It is, it is that idea of, you know, where, is, where does the privacy come in, you know, even as a kid using a thing, you know, from a from um, an, an IP address thing. It's just all these different ways that people can now access your information for not so good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I just wonder where the premium existence is going to be in that way. Like, how will I'm sure it's something I'll have to pay for. Like, I can buy the regular iPhone for like 150 bucks, and then know that your dad is going to be sold like a crazy person, <laughs> or I can buy the two thousand dollar one and know that my dad is on lock. Right. That's it. Well, there you go. We just invented a whole new business model around the <laughs> around mobile devices. Um, I've been watching the killer. I mean, the, the killing. Don't they just yeah. have a burner phone? That what is the killing? On AMC. Um, so, oh, anyways. Really no, no, I, I'm not knocking you. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> um, what other shows are you? I'm watching. I missed Scandal last night. Oh, True Detective. Caught <laughs> Scandal. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Don't tell me anything. Mm-hmm. But um, so breathe this whole conversation in, um, Jason. This one's for you. Complete this phrase. Innovation to me is. Um, innovation to me is what becomes common tomorrow. Nice. Explain. Just that I think like the real innovation, um, like Google Maps, for instance, you know, like we were using paper maps forever and then suddenly no one ever uses uh, a right. paper map again. And it becomes so ingrained in what you do and, and like uh, it becomes a part of all these different types of apps. You don't even notice it anymore. And it's like the amount of technology and amount of work to get Google Maps to work, you don't even feel it. You don't even recognize it. And right. It just becomes – so these things that are 
hugely innovative. I feel like uh, they change how you live, but then you almost don't notice it. You almost take it for granted. You almost take the the possibility for granted. And, uh, or you look at, like, uh, we mentioned Google, I, I think of Street View. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool, like, I can see the house. But then you realize, like, there's vehicles driving all over the world, really, <laughs> and just constantly taking photos. And that gets, it's the process by, you know, which that happens where I can go look up my, my ex-girlfriend's apartment. <laughs> they live in Nevada. I knew that she was right weird there. area of Nevada that suddenly exactly. just doesn't exist on Street View. But, but that's what we're hoping, like, augmented reality becomes. It is, it, it becomes ubiquitous and it becomes something that's almost like, why doesn't my phone know what I'm looking at? You know? Right, like, right. Uh, that should all just suddenly become hidden and, and just common, I think. And then next time, maybe Mika can really be here in, in real life. Right, <laughs> um, but I want to thank you for coming uh, oh, and, and joining us. This was awesome. I, you know, I learned a lot. I feel like my head hurts a little bit. <laughs> um, but everybody, this has been another episode of Innovation Crush. And uh, by the way, where can people find you and or Trigger Global? Twitter handles, Facebook, uh, ad- personal address, TriggerGlobal.com. Okay. Um, or uh, uh, yeah, or uh, the Twitter handle is Trigger LLC. Got it. All right. And thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the Internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudin posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.